Good morning, everyone. You're listening to the World Teacher Program for Share International New Zealand on Planet FM 104.6. Each Friday morning, we bring you information from the teachers of the ageless wisdom. The purpose of our program is to introduce Maitreya, the world teacher for the age of Aquarius. Maitreya does not come alone. He brings with him the Masters of Wisdom, a group of highly evolved teachers who work in many fields and teach us the art of living, how to work in right relationship with each other. With their inspiration, we can transform our civilization, creating justice and peace and use the technological advances available to us. Approximately every two and a half thousand years, a new teacher brings a body of teaching to humanity that is suited to our needs at that particular time. Usually this takes place at the end of an age. Right now, as the age of Pisces declines and our solar system aligns with the constellation Aquarius, new energies are beginning to make themselves felt. As these Aquarian energies of sharing and justice stream into our planet, the need for change can be seen more clearly. A period of chaos ensues as the old order lessens its grip on humanity and the impulse of sharing, justice and peace inspires us to move forward in evolution as a united group. Well, good morning everybody. Lovely to have you with us again on this lovely Friday morning. And uh, I'd like to start with talking about Graham Maxton because he thinks there is cause for optimism in the time of corona. And uh, he is an economist, lecturer and best-selling author. He was Secretary General of the Club of Rome from 2014 to 2018. His latest book, Global Climate Emergency, was published in 2020. It looks at how societies can overcome the hurdles which stop them responding effectively to climate change. He is deeply critical of modern economic thinking and writes urgently about the need for judgmental change. His 2018 book, Change, Why We Need a Radical Turnaround, was a number one Amazon bestseller in Germany. He is also the co-author of Reinventing Prosperity, Managing Economic Growth to Reduce Unemployment, Inequality and Climate Change. That was published in 2016. Felicity Elliott interviewed him in early April at a very intense time of the lockdown. And her first comment was, what strange times we find ourselves in. And Graham Maxton replied, indeed, it is one of those things which I suppose has been expected in some form. And of course, the more we push against the boundaries of nature, the more likely it is that such a thing is going to happen. But awful as it is in terms of human lives lost and misery, it's the first thing that's given me hope in a long time. And Felicity's question Despite all the suffering, many seem to be hopeful, sensing that these are possibilities, or there are possibilities, within the present bizarre time of plague. One thing is clear, we can't go back to business as usual. Do I understand you to mean that you think most change advocated isn't radical enough? And Graham Maxton replied... The idea that you can just make slight modifications to the way we do things, the way we live, recycle more and cut the number of flights you take is not going to achieve anything like the cut in emission levels needed. But suddenly it seems possible. We can stop all the flights. We can stop all those cars. 
all those ships carrying all sorts of stuff that we don't need all around the world. And now suddenly that radical thing is being shown to have happened. So suddenly what seemed a fanciful idea can happen. And this has given people like me a tremendous opportunity to say, look, we can do it. For the first time in a very long time, I feel optimistic because we can see that we can actually solve the climate problem. We have this economic system where we try and grow the economy every year. There's great focus on economic growth, but to achieve growth, we have to increase production. To increase production, we have to use more resources. And we have to use more energy since to do all these things needs energy. To dig up all those resources and to generate the energy required for the factories, the ships, all the things that are required to grow food as well, for example, to create all that energy is mostly based on carbon. And that means coal, oil and gas. So every year we have to create more stuff, which means we have to generate more energy, which creates more emissions, and so we create climate change. It is the push for increased productivity and more economic growth that is the direct cause of climate change. And now Felicity asked, what would a sustainable economy look like? And Graham Maxson replied, well, it certainly looks like looks nothing like what we have today. It has to be a steady state system where the quantity of resources that are used never exceeds that which can be replaced by nature. The needs of future generations must be taken into account. The rights of other species have to be seen to be equal to our own rights. The idea that anything is throwaway or that we can simply increase production and so on All that has to go. We have to live with different values entirely so that we focus on human well-being and spiritual or intellectual development. This whole material world thing has to go away. Everything has to be recycled and reused. Everything that we drive ourselves with today has to go. It really isn't a question of reimagining capitalism because it is capitalism that's at the root of this. We have to eradicate this way of thinking and it is perfectly possible once people wake up to what's been going on. We've been brainwashed into thinking that the way we live today is the only way. There are people who are waking up to what has to happen. They have a high degree of awareness. They understand that despite all their recycling, we still have the problems. They see that something more radical is required. Speaking very generally, I think the Germanic-speaking and the Nordic countries are ahead on these issues. This is great, but let's say we have 400 million people who see the issues, who understand the situation, but you still have 7.5 billion who are running in the wrong direction. That's the challenge, but it's also the opportunity for Europe to take the lead. I believe that only Europe can do this. And Felicity from Share International continued with the following. It's clear now that in our present circumstances that the status quo is simply no longer viable. Our attitudes are nationalistic and competitive rather than cooperative. And Graham replied, we cannot solve the virus problem without cooperating. There's unfortunately a great danger that we will see the opposite, certainly for a short time. We already see certain countries basically stealing masks from other countries in order to protect themselves. And there is a logic to that because the situation is like a war and you have to look after your own people first. But there is no way we can move ahead without global cooperation. 
So, again, with the opportunity, once we get over the first hurdle of this, in brackets, pandemic, people need to come together. But I think it also requires new leadership. The leadership we have today is stuck in a mindset which is about growth exploitation and profit and that's certainly not going to take us forward and felicity's next question i'd like to ask about your book titled change why we need radical change what changes do you suggest perhaps now and beyond the corona crisis and graham's answer Let's look at the aims. We need to stop producing emissions. We need to cut our greenhouse gas emissions to zero as much as we can. We need to stop deforestation and we need to change the way we do farming to reduce nitrous oxide levels. So that would be the simple end result of those changes. But to do that requires us to change or shut some very big industries, the coal and gas industries, for instance. That's easy enough, but it also requires that we shut down the aviation industry, automotive industry, and the manufacturing of cement. It also forces us to reform the agricultural sector to make farming much more localised. To achieve anything like those changes requires us to refocus our economic system away from growth. We have to have an economic system which lives much more in balance with nature. And to achieve all of this requires a change in our mindset, a change in the way we view life. We have a society where we are very individualistic, where people want to consume. The way we think is not compatible with changes we need to make. And Felicity's next question is the following. I'm just wondering whether the corona crisis might have a speeded up effect on us. Since we are already on borrowed time when it comes to dealing with climate change, could the current crisis be our re-education? And Graham replied, that's exactly why I say I'm optimistic. It could shorten the time that we have to make those changes. It suddenly makes that goal of cutting emissions radically by 2030 possible because it has been cut drastically now with the lockdown. But it depends on how long it lasts and it very much depends on the response afterwards. Systems are incredibly robust and the system we have today, the hegemonic neoliberal system which exists today of a free market growth orientated system is extraordinarily powerful. It is the incumbent system and deeply embedded. And so the natural push in much of the world will be, as soon as this virus is brought under control, to try to get things back to the way they were very quickly. Now that may not be the case in Germany or Northern Europe where people are more ecologically aware. It depends on how long this lasts and what's going to happen with the coronavirus. That's impossible to predict at present, but it seems to me that it is going to be extremely difficult to eradicate this virus from countries which are interconnected. And countries like India may be unable to truly get rid of it for the time being. Presumably, parts of the world would be closed to those who survive. It may be a long time before we get a vaccine. So there is a possibility that we will have a fundamentally different world which will continue to be different for a long time. This crisis could have a lingering effect for a protracted period. That scenario, awful though it is, increases the probability of our being able to change the entire system because the leadership will change. People will have more time to reflect and to work out what they want, what is most important in life, 
and then it would be much easier to bring in the structural changes that we need. I think there are two issues there. One is that should a new model, what should a new model look like? And then also, how do we make a gradual transition away from what we have today? Key to that, I think, is to make sure that those who are affected, those who will lose their jobs, will lose their incomes, do not lose a sense of purpose. And again, this virus provides a challenge. The state has to step in. It has to provide people with an income when industries are closed. It has to provide them with new training. It has to encourage people to move into sectors which are not ecologically destructive. A transition like that could last 10 years. And if governments need to print money to do that, that's fine. A simpler way to achieve this would be to give everyone a basic income. In other words, to have a universal basic income so that everyone is provided for. So that even if you lose your job in the oil sector, for example, you don't have to worry about being able to feed your family or paying your rent. We need to ensure that people have a sense of purpose and motivation. That's a slightly different issue, but at least they can take care of their families. The virus proceeds, or sorry, the virus provides a precedent. It shows us that in some countries, like these Scandinavian countries, they're automatically set up to give people an income in such circumstances, which means they don't have to worry about food and maintaining their families. Personally, with regard to those who have led the big industries like the oil companies, the automotive and aviation industry, I would like to see them prosecuted. They have knowingly committed a crime against humanity. It would help to work through that process if we had something like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, like they had in South Africa when apartheid was dismantled. dismantled. So that it would help toward that change in thinking. It would help us understand that we need to do things differently. But for the vast majority, it is a question of providing financial support so that they can be transitioned into whatever they do next. So Felicity's next question, how in such circumstances are major problems like poverty or the refugee crisis to be tackled? And Graham replied, when it comes to things like poverty or conflict or so many of the other appalling major issues, I don't want to sound callous, but these have to be in second place because climate change has to have priority. It has to take priority over everything because if we don't stop climate change, then poverty is not an issue because we'll all be dead. That said, we need to have a massive redistribution of wealth from the north to the south. This virus is likely to make the governance of much of the southern hemisphere even more difficult than it is now. We have to think through how to deal with that and how we can try to help these countries, even if at present it might seem too early to think about how to do it. Clearly, it has to be given priority. But after we've dealt with climate change, after we've stopped the climate changing, then we can focus on all these other issues. Of course, poverty is a huge problem. In Felicity's next question, many people are putting forward the idea of the redistribution of the world's resources. But at the same time, we can already see industries and politicians rushing to get back to business as usual. We still have an entrenched neoliberal attitude. There's a strong desire to shore up big business and keep the wheels of commerce turning. And Graham replies, well, for the time being, it has to be done. If we had a financial collapse on top of everything else, then things may well descend into chaos. So I think the financial system has to be protected in some way. 
In my view, it should be nationalised in stages. It needs to be reimagined as something that supports social development, not a structure which controls it. The financial sector should serve humanity, not control it. And Felicity asked, it has come down to a very stark and obvious choice now. Ease the lockdown, maintain the industries, and in so doing, allow people to die in order to continue making money. Or choose to live sustainably and save lives. And Graham replies, yes, precisely. There's also in many parts of the world the question of food. Millions of lives are at risk. Even in the rich world, there well may be shortages of some foodstuffs. But appalling though the situation is, there is hope and the best chance of change we've had in years. Hopefully the circumstances will bring people to question everything. The role of work, the role of money and of business. In fact, the purpose of life. Big disasters like this in the past have led to completely new forms of society. We have every reason to be hopeful if we grasp this opportunity. The lockdown has given us time to reflect. In a way, the longer it lasts, the better. People will have more time to really ponder on what life means. We'll have more time to think about why they were rushing and travelling so crazily before. Why were we working in these offices all day? What was it all for? Then suddenly their families are in crisis and perhaps their relatives are dying. Now we have time to question the purpose of everything. And that's what we all need. Why did we commute, sometimes for hours, each day? Why were we forever on planes? Why were we producing stuff we never needed? Why buy it if we didn't need it? Why were we buying so many clothes when we didn't need them, didn't wear them? This time will allow us to reimagine, and that pause and chance to reflect presents tremendous opportunity, an amazing opportunity. So you can visit Graham Maxton's website of the same name, so that's G-R-A-E-M-E, Maxton, um, dot com, if you'd like further information about his work. And so that's all we have time for today. And this, we certainly had some very thought-provoking uh, uh, moments there, didn't we? Thank you so much for listening today. And if you'd like to know more about us, please go to the website share-international.org or you may email us at sharenz at yahoo.com. Thank you once again for joining us. Love and blessings to you all. Thank you.